G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. We felt a call to go to the Philippines and that's what we did. Took two young boys, sold everything and I loved it. It was hard work, hard seeing, such a contrast of people with the very rich and the extreme poverty. Sadly, a few events. I ended up coming home after just on a year and found myself a single mum with two little boys. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, we have two stories for you today about women serving the Lord. We'll start off with Maureen O'Brien, who's been involved in ministry in different locations, including the Philippines, and is now helping an organisation in Uganda. As we'll hear, life has not been without its struggles for Noreen, but she's still managed to play roles with women's ministries and missions programs, and has always had a heart for children. She's having a chat and sharing her story with Karen Hunt. Where did you grow up and what was life like as a young'un? I was born in Brisbane and came up in a big family, a family of five, three boys and two girls, good Catholic family and um, very much churchgoers on Sundays. Lived at Maruka in Brisbane, for all those who live in Maruka in Brisbane, yay! And uh, yeah, went to a Catholic primary school and an all-girls high school at Annerley. And uh, had a great upbringing, wonderful, wonderful family. What would be a special childhood memory? Um, It's funny you should say that because I was actually thinking about it the other day. You know, you sort of often think about, you know, where, where did your first connection with God really start? And I remember always having that sense, ever since I was a very little girl, of that respectfulness for God, you know, that that awe of God, always had that. And as a Littley, I could never wait. In the Catholic school, they used to give you a little um, box and it had different little items in it, a little Mary and a Joseph and like a nativity scene. And sometimes you got chosen to take that home and sort of set it up as a little, just a little prayer area. And I used to, you know, make my family kneel down and pray with me. And that was like, I was very little. That was probably six or seven. So I think that You know, I have always had a heart after God, always. What did God look like in your mind at that young age? Um, Probably very big. You know, anything I thought about God, he must have had big hands and a big chair, talking about the throne of God. Just big, really. Maybe earlier years not too approachable. You know, it was, yes, you could pray, but wondered where those prayers went, but... As I got older, of course, I learned a lot more about that. Did you ever imagine that you'd be a worker for God? Did you see yourself on the mission field at all? What were your hopes and dreams when you left school? No, when I left school, left school at 15, like a lot did in those early years, probably wanted to be a worker like the rest of my family were. Left school at 15 on a Friday and got a job. Um, as a window dresser in the city in Brisbane in a really sort of 
a bit more like an upper class fashion. So I was involved in fashion when I was younger. So yeah, it was um, interesting. So a creative edge from a young age, hey? The mission field probably wasn't what I thought would be the end all be all, but um, yeah, so I worked in fashion till I was about 20. So design, was design a key part of... Just um, managing up and coming fashion stores, yeah, in Brisbane City. Was that the pie in the sky thought that you had? You were going to make it to the top in the corporate fashion world or you kind of took the days as they came? No, no, just at 17 I was managing so that at that stage was probably, that's about as far as you could go. I was asked to be a, become a buyer but that travelling to Sydney that just take me away from my family and that you know didn't really interest me but I you know I love the fashion industry and I just enjoyed it I don't think I had any really big ambitions about anything. So as a young woman was faith still a part of your life then? It was I at just turned 20 I moved to New Zealand for a year and um, had a won't go into the details or we'll be here for a week but had a challenge as far as the Catholic Church my ideas of what it was here in Australia seeming a little bit different you know to what they were in New Zealand so I really had to search God out myself started a little bit of a journey for me finding out who God really was yeah so where did that take you in the first place well after a year I came back home to Australia back to Queensland back to Brisbane and um, you know had met somebody who introduced me to the things of God to a Pentecostal church then it all just fell into place it's like ah this is where you belong well that's a far cry from a Catholic upbringing huh very very different but it was exciting days and renewal then and um, yeah it was just amazing it was this whole new world of the things of God and who Jesus was that I'd never even had anything to do with and yet I'd loved God in my own way all those years from a little girl so it was amazing. So for someone who has no concept of that term renewal and this whole new world what did it look like? Um, Renewal was in those days and we're talking like late 70s early 80s um, that people were finding a newfound love in Christ in the traditional church and whilst it was exciting and, and growing and there was a lot of difficulty too because you had a lot of people who didn't want to go with it and it was very new to a lot of other people. It was nearly like sometimes decide and, you know, whilst the Pentecostal churches had always been there, there was a lot of people who were not contented in the traditional churches and they were wanting more and that's what it looked like. What was your involvement at the time? How deeply involved did you get? Well, like I said, I met somebody and they were involved in an Anglican church, would you believe, but very much into the renewal and they had asked him to come and work as a youth worker on the streets. That's who I had met and that's how I sort of got involved with that, which was for a little while and then that took on a different line and um, we had come under Christian Life Centres in Brisbane under Pastor Trevor Chandler. God rest his soul, wonderful man of God. It just went on from there. You married, you started a young family, you had two young boys. Um, Well, I had one young boy at the time and um, Mark, who I was married to then, was asked to come on staff at Christian Life Centre in Brisbane. 
So that's what we did and was there for probably three years and then pioneered church for Christian Life Centre in Maroochydore up the north coast. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, it was really nice. And uh, then second son was born and we were there for about five years and then felt a call to go to the Philippines. And that's what we did. Took two young boys, sold everything and two young boys over to the Philippines um, just out of Manila. I loved it. It was hard work, hard seeing, such a contrast of people with the very rich and the extreme poverty. But I loved it. I worked with the malnourished babies over there. And Peter, our eldest son, went to an American missionary school and had to travel a long way every day to go there and a long way home. And Neil, my youngest son, was only three. And it seemed like life couldn't get any better. But um, sadly, a few events, I ended up coming home after just on a year and um, found myself a single mum with two little boys. They were very tough days. So um, I had known Pastor Kinder and uh, Joan Greening on the Gold Coast, came back and just started afresh for a couple of years. You know, like I said, they were very, all those wonderful single mothers out there. Take my hat off to you because it's not an easy road, but with God on your side, you can get through anything was back on the coast and I had volunteered at the kindy where my son had gone to, um, Neil, or preschool it was that year, and then they asked me to come on staff, so I went to college two nights a week for two years, got qualified and worked there at the preschool for many, many, many years, never seemed to move on to grade one, I was in preschool for a very long time. My sons were going through King's School, which was absolutely wonderful, couldn't have asked for anything more. So after about... How many years? Probably six years, just through some mutual friends. I never thought I would remarry, but um, I met the most wonderful man, and God broke the mould when he brought my husband along. His name is Glenn, and every time I talk about him, I cry. (laughs) He is just the best. And we have been married for 22 years, and... We have two sons and three daughters now. Three daughters um, born to my husband, Glenn, and I, and they're wonderful. So five children all together. So five kids after all that time, and you're also a nonna. You're not a nana. You're not a grandmother. So a nonna of three. Yes, I have three beautiful... My eldest son, Peter, is married to a wonderful girl called Michelle, and they have three absolutely beautiful children, not just because they're my grandchildren, but they are beautiful boys. Um, Oscar, Xavier and Baxter and uh, Oscar actually goes to King's School now so next generation of um, children are going through to King's which is lovely and um, yeah, so it's been a massive journey And that's in a nutshell, hey? Very large nutshell But in the Philippines, obviously your heart for kids your heart to be a a nurturing mama to be a nurturing nonna they were early days your own children your own family your own work in the preschool with those children in the earlier years you've worked a lot with women you know you obviously identify with women in ways that perhaps others can't because of your own experience you've done a lot with women's ministry and and more recently you've become more god-centered with missions work how did that come about beyond the philippines what was it that first triggered your heart and mind for furthering god's purposes on the mission field 
I think the, the key word is probably children. It seems that, you know, because I studied and then got involved with working with children and I had been working with small babies and children in the Philippines, I guess I just love children. It's probably, whether it be here or Uganda or the Philippines, children are children. You know, there's no diversity as far as children go. You get children together no matter what colour their skin is. And I was going to say red or yellow, black yeah. and white. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I was working in the women's ministry at King's, we had a great time with raising funds for missions in India. So sort of like for me, a little bit of a finger in a missions pie all along the way. My husband, Glenn, uh, worked with YWAM in the very early years and he would take teams to different places and I guess when we met, that was one thing that we'd had in common, you know, a love for missions. Hey, listen, we've been chatting about your good Catholic girl upbringing, the different seasons in life, time in the Philippines, now a beautiful family of five, three grandchildren, big heart for children continued, but right now the children in Uganda, 100% Hope, is an amazing ministry organisation in Mityana, Uganda. Let's hone in a little bit more specifically on 100% Hope. I believe there's like about 10 acres of land now in Mityana. Tell us more. Well, Karen, I haven't actually been myself, so I can only tell you from photos and Trichelle describing everything, but there's, you know, lots going on at the moment. Yep, we have 10 acres of land and uh, it is in Mityana in Uganda. Trichelle actually has also built a temporary church structure there. The nursery building has begun and there's also a functioning piggery there. God bless you. God bless your fam. God bless your church community. And we look forward to hearing great things with regard to 100% hope and what's happening there in Uganda. Thank you, Karen. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. (laughs) Have a great day. Bye-bye. That was Noreen O'Brien chatting and sharing her story with Karen Hunt. Once again, the ministry she's now involved in is called 100% Hope, and it's all about giving children in Uganda a future and a hope. Their website is 100-hope.org. That's 100-hope.org. Next, we'll hear about another woman serving the Lord. Robin Jensen has been involved in ministering to Aboriginal youth in Alice Springs. We'll hear her story when we return. The Story if this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today we're highlighting the stories of two women who are serving the Lord. Before the break, we heard from Noreen O'Brien, who's involved with a ministry that's helping children in Uganda. Next, we'll hear Robin Jansen's story and how she became involved in ministering to Aboriginal youth in Alice Springs. She's chatting with Karen Hunt. You've been there in the red centre of our country for, what, eight years now? That's right, Karen, eight years. Tell me where you were before that and how did you get there in the first place? Oh, that's an interesting question. I actually came here with my three young kids Mm -hmm. uh, eight years ago with a camping trailer heading north and we kind of got stuck here in Alice Springs and 
Every time we tried to leave, wheels would fall off cars, teeth would fall out. It was quite quite extreme. With the camping so, trailer, where did the trailer and yourself and your kids come from? We came from Geelong, Victoria. And what were you doing in Geelong? Is that where you were born and raised? I was actually born in Melbourne. My children were born in Geelong. Yeah. We lived there for many years and we left to travel. That was an adventure in itself. So what was your goal? What was your mission? What were you hoping to achieve? I think, Karen, what happened is I travelled around Australia in 2003. I was a brand new Christian. Yeah. And we travelled around and we just loved the life so much. But I came to the Territory and I remember writing in my journal, Lord, what is it about the Territory? There was just a magnet here and I just knew I was going to be drawn back to it in some capacity. And Mm -hmm. two years later, we um, were able to do that. So you were telling me earlier, you're originally from a dairy farm. We're talking Gippsland, Victoria. So life for you as a child on the dairy farm, what? did that look like? Yeah, we just loved the outdoors. Mum and Dad wanted the country lifestyle change and bought a dairy farm and it was totally different from Dad's camera shops in, in the city area. <laughs> yes, it would be. <laughs> mm, so, yeah, there was a good lifestyle growing up. I'm the oldest of eight and we would take turns milking the cows and then I, I went to university there in Gippsland and ended up doing my teaching. I actually do some teaching up here in Alice Springs now. So were you trained as a primary teacher, high school, what area? Secondary, yes, high school. Secondary, what speciality? English and history. So your childhood seems very different to your own children's childhood by the sound of it, yeah? Uh, To an extent. When I was in uh, Geelong area, we actually had five acres and they grew up on that land. Nice. With cows and sheep and chickens and veggie gardens and... They're not too much different in that regard. In that regard, no. We actually milked our own cow, made our own cheese, did the whole self-sufficiency thing and mm-hmm. it was a good lifestyle but I realised, I suppose, after I became a Christian that it was becoming almost like an idol, that whole self-sufficiency thing. Yeah. And we actually um, travelled and then we came back, sold the house and came back to Alice Springs. So arriving in Alice, were you hoping to maybe teach there? What were you thinking? My thinking was I knew that the Lord was bringing me up this way to work with Aboriginal families. Mm -hmm. I knew that, but I knew the time wasn't right. I was a fairly new Christian and I actually got involved with the Aboriginal church here in Alice Springs and started off driving buses, picking up people out in the town camps. That's a mission in itself, I'm sure. What a great ministry. That's absolutely great. And that's how I met the people, as well as working for the health clinic here in town and for a couple of years. It's all about relationships, Karen. Robin, what is it that you absolutely love about being near Alice Springs? Oh, I just love the scenery. I just love the the adventure of it, Karen. I love being I love the water holes, the, the ranges. Uh, people think Alice Springs, they think desert, they think nothing, uh-huh. nothing here. They couldn't be more wrong. It's like the centre of everywhere. It's just an amazing place. The people are amazing. I have just so loved connecting with the um, Aboriginal people mm-hmm. in the area from the different communities, learning about their culture. It's an interesting world to go into a town camp in Alice Springs. There's 16 of them. They're made up of people that live a very transient lifestyle. They come and go a lot from bush to here. And as a result, their kids struggle with education. Mm. A lot of the children um, have very low literacy levels. And for various reasons, the education's not greatly supported by families. 
and I suppose I saw come alongside the families and try and give the kids some options. You know, just show there's options in the world and, and whether they want to take part in that. Their choices are very limited mm-hmm. and while they're usually on Centrelink, a lot of that money doesn't filter through to where it's really needed with the mothers or the carers, which are usually the grandparents of these kids, due to family members demanding money for their alcohol, ganja, marijuana addictions. Of course, you've got the petrol sniffing situation, you've got deodorant sniffing problems, which they've just been taken all off the shelves here in Alice Springs because of the huge prevalence of kids chroming using deodorants. So huge issues there. Of course, that sort of thing then leads to violence and neglect of children, sadly. Give me an example of one particular family that you've worked with where you feel, oh, wow, yes, success, transformation, major turnaround. Can you think of one? Look, I can think of several where that has actually happened, where reaching the kids has therefore reached the parents or the families, the grandparents, which is what we're really after, I guess. This particular family has adopted me and my children and they will come over for discipling. They have come over to ask for Bibles. They are now attending church regularly and wanting to become more involved. I had them here just the other day. We were going to a discipling program with them and you could just see the lights go on and how excited they were to learn about the gospel message. They've sent their kids down now to boarding school in Adelaide, which is possibly a good thing, Karen, Mm. that they've got the initiative to do that. And they see me as an auntie to these children. Probably four or five years ago, one of their children was really quite violent. He'd stolen some deodorant and he'd really turned quite violent and smashed up their house. And they came and got me. Mm. And that's that's cultural because they see me as an auntie. Mm -hmm. And aunties are the ones that do the... I don't like to use the word discipline, but they're the ones that will go out and tell the kids off. (laughs) So here I am with this boy who's really quite violent. He's smashing up a house, trying to pray with him. And it's good because he's now been taken into some programs and he's gone back to school and he's moving on from that stage. can be quite tricky growing up kids here at that age. There's a lot of um, street gangs here, Karen. A lot of the kids we do work with, they are street kids and... They wander at the streets. We're looking at 10-year-old kids who are walking perhaps five kilometres into town on their own. So that's one success. There are some not-so-encouraging reports too, of course. (laughs) I believe you've got an amazing group of volunteers that work with you who help to make these programs possible. Tell us about your team. Oh, how awesome are they? We have about 23 people on the team. We have bus drivers. We have people who do the catering. We have people who run the, um, the small groups. We have probably up to 55 kids attend on our regular sessions at the church, which is very demanding, Karen, when you think a lot of these kids have never been or don't go regularly to school yeah. or church. Mm-hmm. They, they do walk the streets. They don't have stable home environments. And these volunteers, they just in there every week and it's not always encouraging, it's not always rewarding and it is tough and it is challenging mm. to deal with these kids. But when you... When you deal with them on a one-on-one basis, when you talk to them and you see their hearts and you just fall in love with them. (laughs) (laughs) You know you're making a difference, hey? We're making a difference and it's relationships. That's what it's all about. Mm. If you just see the kids walking the streets, breaking into houses, you've got that whole culture of hate, which isn't what we want. When you were speaking of that little boy just before, speaking of, you know, smashing everything in sight, the Mm -hmm. bitterness, the hatred, I remember reading somewhere that it's the grandparents who raise Mm -hmm. the kids until they're adolescents. Is that right? Mm -hmm. 
and then, much, yep. like mm-hmm. yourself, aunties and uncles in the community then take on the nurturing and the guidance and the discipline. So kind of if past those formation years, they're at a stage where they're trying to make sense of their world, I imagine, yeah? Oh, totally, and it's an identity thing. It's Their culture is totally reversed to what our culture is in that we put a lot of boundaries in for our young children. They don't. And then when they become teenagers in our culture... We give them a lot more freedom. Well, it is the opposite with their culture. Yeah. When they become teenagers, they go through ceremony and that's where we're actually finding it very challenging at the moment because when our young boys in particular go off to ceremony, they come back as young men and that's when we start to lose them and that's when we hope we've put the foundations in. From what you're saying then, the ropes are being drawn in. Suddenly there's new rules, regulations and boundaries that didn't exist before. You're going to get bucking balls. Yes and no. I think they look forward to this ceremony, which is very, very harsh. Yeah. It's, a, it's a whole topic in itself. And, and what do we do with these young men who are coming back at the age of 13 and are now men and have gone through a lot of ritual-type ceremonies? They come back and where do they fit in? Because there's not an ongoing programs anymore because of the fabric of society or their families have been broken down, they sort of get left on their own. Where are the men? Where are the men to guide these young men into manhood? Mm. And that's where I think they're having major issues. Mm. So they're coming back as men, but they're not being mentored. Thanks, Robin. Appreciate your time. Wish you well. Thank you, Karen. That was Karen Hunt having a chat with Robin Jansen in Alice Springs about her heart for helping Aboriginal youth. And before that, we heard from Noreen O'Brien, who's involved with a ministry that's helping children in Uganda. It's called 100% Hope. Well, we just want to commend both of them for their service to the Lord and all the other people working tirelessly behind the scenes, making people's lives better and sharing the love of Jesus. As the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. A wonderful promise from the Lord. Well, thanks for joining us for Noreen and Robin's Stories. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I felt this heavy pressure on my chest like um, I was at the gym and I dropped a bar in my chest and I couldn't get it off. And as that happened, I instinctively knew that I was dying. I could hardly breathe, my brain was still working, and I got up and I turned around and my oldest daughter said, who happened to come out of her bedroom, oh, what's wrong, Dad? And I said, something's really bad, I'm not sure. Malcolm Keynes was writing a Valentine's Day card when suddenly he felt a heavy pressure on his chest. We'll find out how he reacted to his brush with death and how it all changed his life next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.